Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 14. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am so excited to introduce my special guest today, Diane Brandon. Diane, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I sure am, Mark. All right. It's great to have you here. Diane still owns her first new car. That was a 1965 Volkswagen Sunroof sedan. In February of 1980, she drove her 1957 Bentley S over 3,000 miles in just over three days from Toronto to Portland. And the car served her for over 200,000 miles as her daily driver, never failing to proceed and racking up a few awards of its own at Rolls-Royce Owners Club judged events. She has owned several vintage Rolls-Royce and Bentley motor cars and has driven every chassis type of both marks from earliest models through the 1980s. And she's road tested and reviewed most of the new models as they've been introduced. For decades, Diane served as a member, publications editor, officer, judge, and chaired many tours and events in the Rolls-Royce Owners Club and the Classic Car Club of America. From 1984 through 2006, she was on the Rolls-Royce and Bentley judging teams at the Pebble Beach Concorde d'Elegance. Last year, she rejoined the team, and this August, she'll be on the lawn again, judging the Rolls-Royce Phantom 4 and 5 classes. Diane retired from Xerox Corporation as a major accounts program manager in 2006, and now she researches and writes Rolls-Royce and Bentley descriptions for RM auctions and Gooding, both their catalogs. She writes and provides counsel on all things Rolls-Royce and Bentley for Sports Car Market Magazine, including their semi-annual price guide, and is a consultant to prospective and current owners of the two marks. I fondly refer to Diane as my spirit of ecstasy, and I'm proud to say she's the first woman on Cars Yeah! So Diane, I've told our listeners a bit about you, so please take a moment and share some more about your history, your love for Rolls-Royce and Bentley, and your passion for automobiles. Sure, thanks Mark. Are you sure that's me you're talking about? <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I found that on Google somewhere. <laughs> Oh, I'm really flattered you asked me to join your list of other interviewees. I saw who they were. It's quite an impressive group. And as you know, I felt this website is a place to become the go-to place for all of us car guys. So it's a real pleasure to be part of it. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Well, okay, a little bit about me. I'm of British heritage. Uh, my dad was born in St. Ives in Cornwall. If you've ever seen Doc Martin on, on the BBC or PBS, you you know what Cornwall looks like, beautiful place. And my mother, uh, her grandparents were English, and I grew up in Kansas City, Missouri. My dad was in the floor covering business, and my mother was an interior designer. But from the time I was five years old until I was about 14, I spent three months of every year, the entire summer, with my mother in her newest Chrysler on extended road trips. So by car... We visited most of Mexico, Canada, every state except Hawaii, but we did go to Alaska. In fact, we drove to Alaska when the Alcan Highway, mostly gravel then, um, opened to the public in 1948, and I heard then brand-new 48 Chrysler Town & Country Highlander convertible. 
but pretty car. But I've always had an interest in uh, cars anyway, uh, plus English things, and among those English cars. It started with a friend of my mother's who had a Rolls Royce Silver Dawn, and when he would visit Kansas City, he'd pick her up, and me too occasionally, to go out for a meal or to visit friends. And I'd sit in the back seat of that sweet car and think about the day when I'd have one too. But I first became in cars, uh, involved in cars when I was just 12, and it was due to two horsepower. I had two horses and showed them, uh, which meant taking them to events in a horse trailer. My dad, a Chrysler man, was not that amused when the fluid drive transmissions in his cars would ball pulling something as heavy as a horse trailer. So he bought me a Jeep. I was uh, 12 years old. It was 1952, and the Jeep was an Army surplus 1946 Willys. I promptly painted it pink with a brush. <laughs> in those days in Missouri, a 12-year-old child could be issued a driver's license with parental permission. Uh, but I learned to drive on an Aldous Chalmers tractor and had a license to drive a car on public roads a few days after my 12th birthday. So I used that Jeep to pull my horse trailer to horse shows, and I also learned to maintain it. That's probably where it really started. My dad had given me, along with the Jeep, a shop manual and a set of mechanics tools and told me in no uncertain terms to learn how to fix it, to take care of it, or he'd take it away and sell it. And I never disobeyed him, at least when he said, there's a damn Jeep, there's a damn book, the damn tools, you have a brain, two eyes, two hands, so it's up to you to take care of it. So I did. And a few days or years later in high school, I discovered flathead V8 Fords, and I thought they were a lot cooler than that Jeep. So I bought one, then a series of them. So I'd fix one up a bit, settle for more than I paid, and buy a better one. So I wasn't a cheerleader or did the kinds of things other kids did in high school. I was playing with the cars even then. So I think I had every year Ford from 1935 through 1950 uh, before I sold my 50 Ford convertible and bought my first British car, which was a 57 MGA Roadster. And that was in 1960 when I was 20 years old. And then a few years later, after I bought a broken-down Model A Coupe in 1930 for $35, <laughs> I restored it. It was actually the first car I ever really restored. And then reluctantly, I sold it and bought a new 65 VW Sunroof sedan that you mentioned earlier. And it was a much better car for negotiating the traffic because I was living in Southern California then. I still hold a VW, as you said, and it's the first new car I ever bought. But while I was raising my family, I drove my Volkswagen, and then I had a series of Volvos. They were so safe then, that's what um, I thought would be best to drive my kids around. But that old car-loving thing didn't ever burn out. So as I approached my 40th birthday, I decided to sell my perfectly nice Volvo and buy Rolls-Royce. In researching the mark, I discovered Bentley, yeah bought my first one, the one that you talked about, that I drove from Toronto to Portland, and um, that was in 1979, actually. It was a 57 S1 standard steel saloon, and I, it was my driver for the next 11 years. So a friend who owned uh, older Rolls-Royce cars for years told me when I bought the Bentley, he said, you know, it'll, it's going to ch- uh, change your life, and it really did. So I became very involved and some would say obsessed by the two marks, Rolls-Royce and Bentley, 
I joined the clubs you mentioned. I worked in the clubs. I attended car meets and concourse uh, here and in Europe and bought a few more cars and worked on them and restored a couple and just absorbed every detail. Fortunately, I have a good memory, so I've maintained most of that. I don't know what I had for lunch yesterday, but I, I can tell you about a few cars. So my husband at the time referred to my friends and me as the boring of Rolls Royce owners. So he definitely was not a car guy. But then on a real happy day in 1983, the immediate past president of the Rolls Royce Owners Club, Bill Davis, asked me to join him on the new uh, judging team that he'd been asked to form for the Concord at Pebble Beach. So I was there every third week in August for the next 22 years. And I was the only woman uh, class judge for many years. I think there's only been one other that I recall. Um, and then after a brief hiatus, I joined again last year, as you mentioned. And this year we're going to be judging the Phantom 4s and 5s, which will be especially interesting because Phantom 4s were only built for heads of state. So we're going to see some really interesting cars there this year. Well, that is an amazing story and truly a car story that I have yet to hear. So thank you for sharing sharing so much of your life with us. That's really spectacular. And I do look forward to seeing you on the lawn again this uh, this August. That'll be great. Diane, I like to start the show with a success quote, something that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success and your attitude around life. It's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah. So take the wheel. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Uh, right drive or left drive? Well, in your case, it would be right, madame. <laughs> yes, okay. Well, let's start a little bit. Uh, again, um, I was talking about those horse, that horse trailer earlier. The thing that has really inspired me through my life is something that my dad taught me. And though I was closer to my mother, I have to admit my dad was the one who taught me this lesson. And it was really one I really followed my entire life. And it does apply to the car hobby. And the lesson he taught me was to honor and appreciate the things in my life by taking good care of them. I was an only child, and I was given lots of things, including those two horses. But one morning, winter morning, when I was 11 years old, there was a nice storm. One of my jobs was to take care of my horses in the morning before school. That particular morning, I just didn't want to do it, so I asked Joe, or my dad's outside man, he called him, if he'd take care of the horses for me. I just didn't want to go out there and tromp around the ice and snow. Anyway, Joe said he would, and he did. So when I returned from school that day, I was in the sixth grade. As I always did, I first thing I did was go down to the barn to do something to take care of the horses, feed them, curry them, ride them if I could. Who were there? And I looked everywhere, and then I noticed there were tire truck uh, marks in the snow by the barn. And I, I knew something was up, so I ran the house and called my dad and asked him what happened. And he said something I'll never forget. And uh, he said, in so many words, I told you you could have anything in my power to give you uh, if you promise to take care of it. And Joe told me about what happened this morning, so I realized you weren't going to take care of your horses, so I sold them. Oh, my goodness. I hung up. So... <laughs> I have never, ever felt such pain as that. I just, I knew he meant it. He was a man of his word. And those horses were gone. So, and I'd had them since I was five years old. So it was a huge part of my life that was gone. Wow. For days afterwards, I'd hear my mother argue with my dad about it, not too harsh or too cruel, but he wouldn't change his mind. 
But I didn't see anything more to him because I knew there was no arguing with him. One year to the day later, I came home from school. I was in the seventh grade by then. And I heard that nickering sound. I'm going to leave. And I opened the great my mother's car. We came around home. And I looked at her, and she was crying and smiling and said, Yes, they're back. One year was long enough. I didn't ever talk to me about it. And I never said anything to him other than to thank him for not selling them. But I learned later through my mother that he hadn't sold them, but he'd taken them to a friend's dairy farm and boarded them for that year, long enough to teach me to take care of my things. So I learned that lesson and too well sometimes, and that's why my cars are kept in pretty good condition. I wash them after every time I drive, even my everyday driver. I clay bar them, I touch them up, I wax them frequently, and I keep them detailed as if they're going to be going into a concord. And it doesn't matter what it is. It's a list that stayed with me to care for my things and respect them and enjoy them or hand them off to someone who will. Wow. Well, that's a great story. And you answered my next question of how you've incorporated that into your life. And you shared that shared that really well. So thank you for sharing that very personal time in your life and, and what it meant for you. What a What a wonderful lesson. Pretty tough lesson, but wonderful lesson. I'm sure it was tougher for him, too. Yeah, I'm sure it was as well. Will you share a story with us that instigated your passion for cars? Tell us that pivotal moment that you realized you were really a car gal. Hmm. Okay. The pivotal moment. Let's see. Well, after I divorced that non-car guy, this is going to sound like it's not about cars, but it is. But I needed to find a career that uh, would provide not only livable income, but that would have benefits because I was getting older and thinking about retirement, I applied to so many companies here in the Portland area, area and no success. And I just realized that when you're in your late 40s, as I was then, the job opportunities are much less than when you're younger. But I finally learned of an opening at one of Portland's largest companies, Tektronics, and I applied. And on a whim, on the application where it asked about hobbies and personal interests, I'm usually pretty private, but you wouldn't know it from this interview, but, <laughs> but for a change, I listed my involvement about the, with the car hobby on this job application. Well, the hiring manager is, an, is a car guy, and he saw that, and he called me for an interview, and he said he felt I was overqualified for the job opening he had posted, but he wanted me to work for him. So he rewrote, rewrote that job description, and so it just matched me, so no one else would qualify. I got the job, and then in 2000, that division of Tektronix was acquired by Xerox, and I came for a full circle because I'd worked for Xerox in the 60s and 70s. I'd worked my way up from a secretary all the way to, actually, I was the first female uh, sales representative Xerox ever had. Wow. That's the, that's the aha moment you asked me about. It had to be the moment that that hiring manager noticed my interest in cars and knew he wanted me on his team, and I suppose it's true um, in a water six its own level. So he loved cars and car people, and he knew I did too. And that was, this is a really was a pivotal moment because it changed my life. It, it gave me uh, the security that I needed at a real tough time in my life. And, um, you know, it just really taught me that, that uh, <laughs> sometimes these allocations uh, help with our vocations. That's wonderful, and I appreciate you sharing that aha moment with me. I want to get under the hood a little bit with you, Diane, and maybe get your hands a little dirty. Could you 
share with us maybe a huge challenge or even a failure that you faced in life and how you pushed through that and most importantly, how you overcame that situation. I know you talked about that year off of having your horses boarded away, but something later in your life perhaps that you could share with our listeners. Sure. Um, Well, there have been a few. I've had kind of um, an up-and-down kind of a life. I I was brought up to be very independent, and but I also was taught that if for every uh, every time that you go against the grain or against convention, there are going to be detractors and people who are going to criticize you, which will make it a little bit tougher. But I think, frankly, the the most recent challenge was that I found was building a life that I really dreamed of having all my life, but I never had time to do it because I was working. So when I retired from Xerox in 2006, I knew I would never be the one to end my day sitting in a chair with a cat on my lap and getting up once in a while watering the flowers or clipping coupons and just waiting to die. I knew I was a fairly decent writer. I'd written a lot in my career at Xerox and as, as sort of a hobby. I knew a bit about the cars, especially the Bentley and Rolls-Royce marks. And I'd owned several, as we've talked about, and won some awards. And I had built uh, pretty much a global network of contacts, friends within the hobby. And I had a huge library, uh, still do, uh, files and books and notes and photographs of these two marks. So as my retirement date approached, I talked to an old friend of mine here in Portland, Keith Martin. He's an editor and publisher of Sports Care Market, and he quite graciously added me to his list of contributors. So I became writing, began writing uh, British car profiles and compiling values for their price guide. And then through other venues, I made contacts with some of the car auction companies, and I now work for RM and Gooding, writing catalog descriptions for cars that consigned for their auctions and the two marks, and occasionally for a pre-68 VW, another mark I've become fairly knowledgeable about. And I also find myself advising others interested in the marks and consulting and advising them when they're thinking about buying a car or even selling it or restoring it. So, and with the recent, I think, welcome shift in the car hobby from restoration to preservation, often these consulting sessions center around the question, is it good, too good to restore? And I'm a curious with these cars, so if I try to influence people to preserve them and tell them it's, you know, remind them it's only an original once. And unfortunately, this hobby is big enough to allow something for everyone and with a wide range of tastes, and I'm interested in the originality and the era-correct restorations. And since they're meant to be driven, I'd much rather see the first 90 points in a 100-point car be on the correctness and the condition and the mechanics uh, rather than cosmetics. They're a lower priority. And they're important, but not as much to me. And I just hate to see a car butchered or tarted up by a well-meaning owner. Fortunately, we're seeing a lot less of that now. But as I say, this, this, everything all just kind of came together for me. I find that I'm now doing what I love every day, even, even the days like last week when I was, as you know, I was working, uh, finishing up the, uh, the catalog descriptions for the August auctions, uh, Monterey, uh, Pebble Beach, and I was pulling a couple of all-nighters to meet some deadlines. So, but it, it's, it's the most rewarding work I've ever done, and who knew it? at my age, that it would all come together this way. So 
as I say, that's that was the challenge. What I was going to do, uh, you know, after I no longer had a, a career, a job, going to an office every day, and it's turned out to be the best time of my life. Well, what a wonderfully inspirational story, and it's exactly what I'm trying to do here at Cars Yeah is inspire automotive enthusiasts. And your story is so fantastic. Of Retirement can be a reinvention of yourself and a reemergence of yourself. So thank you for sharing that. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. You talked about a little bit about your first car, that Jeep. Is that correct? Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, that was going to be my question. You already touched on that a little bit. But again, what year was that Jeep? And maybe you can tell us one one fun story about that pink Jeep. Well, it was a 46. It was, you know, Jeep's government-issued cars were built by Ford and Willys, and mine was a Willys. It was just pretty agricultural, and I told you I painted it kind of a Pepto-Bismol pink with a brush, but the fact I was 12, so <laughs> what are you going to do? But I think maybe what might be a little more interesting is um, about my Volkswagen. Okay. It's the first new car I ever bought, and it's still going strong. This despite being my daily driver for years, and it was the car I used to teach my kids and a lot of their friends how to drive in. in 19, this is another thing that kind of, something that occasionally we we all face, where we have a loss of something, and uh, sometimes our first inclination is just to throw up our hands and say, well, uh, bad luck. But in um, back in 1952, my Volkswagen was stolen from a large public parking lot. So after I mourned its loss for a while, I just really got mad, just furious. And I used that anger to find the thing. So I did find it. It was uh, it had been parted out, and it was in four different cars. <laughs> but we sorted out all the bits. I worked with the police department. Uh, we got everything back in my car from uh, at the uh, rear bench seat. There were over 200 cars older Volkswagens that had been stolen in a short period of time and then just all mixed up uh, and then resold. But uh, <laughs> it, uh, I found, as I say, I found everything that uh, was in my car and I helped them sort out the others. And then <laughs> a local news program uh, picked up the story and it was on the Today Show. <laughs> uh, when, I, <laughs> when I retired and moved to this old condo, I just had a single-car garage a long-time friend of mine, and yours too now, John White, he has a car collection in Sacramento. He offered to store my car for me, so uh, we held it down there. And since I visit him a lot, um, I thought, well, if, I, if it's there, I'll have a car to use. I won't have to use one of his when I'm visiting him. So a few years ago, years after my car, his name is Victor. I always want to call him Victor, Victor Volkswagen. Anyway, after he went to live in Sacramento with my friend John, John invited me there to attend a Christmas party. And on our way to the party, we stopped by his collection because he wanted to show me a couple of new cars that he had bought that I hadn't seen yet. And when we walked in the main showroom, there was my Volkswagen on the center turntable, tied up with a big red bow, and it had been completely restored in his restoration shop. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so that was... Handled, handed a food of champagne and a box of tissues, and I went into the ugly cry. That car looked exactly as it did the day I bought it. What a wonderful thing for him to do. It sure was. Well, he later I was able to arrange uh, storage for, for it up here, so I drove it home. And that little car, driving home on uh, 
I-5, full speed, 70 on the flats, and <laughs> a little slower going up to those mountain uh, rises, but uh, not a problem. And um, as I say, storing most of the time, I take him out. Now that the weather's a little better, I take him out, keep him home for a week or two, leave my other car at the other garage uh, to get into a few uh, local car shows. He'll never be sold. I mean, it's it's specified in my will to go to my best friend. Unfortunately, none of my kids are interested in maintaining that old car, and I'm interested in cars except as transportation. Isn't that always the way? But as I say, Victor Volkswagen, he's really the he's he's uh, just been so special. I mean, it took such a long time to save up the money and have all those series of flathead Fords and the different cars I had to save up and. To buy him, there's just no way in the world I'd ever sell him. Well, Victor Volkswagen, what a wonderful story. Talking about cars, is there a car in your past that you sold that you really wish you still owned? Oh, God, yes. I, I'd like to have kept them all, some, especially some of those flathead Fords and, of course, the MGA Roadster. But I've had to, if I had to choose one or die, I'd try to buy back my 57 Bentley. As I say, it was my daily driver for 11 years. I, you know, I put over 200,000 miles on it, and it just, it still pains me to think that I no longer own it. So that was a tough one. I had to sell it during the divorce, but I, God, I'd love to have that car again. Well, it's out there somewhere, I suspect, so maybe one day you will. I hope so. Diane, what is your favorite way to spend time with cars? Do you, do you like to go out and work on them or detail them, or is it just driving them? No, I, I'm, I like hands-on stuff. When I was younger, as I said, I restored that Model A. I restored a couple of other um, Rolls-Royce and Bentley cars. I always did my own mechanics and, you know, from just the simple things to a little more involved things. don't like to fool with the brakes. And, boy, electrics kind of scare me. I found out that every wire has two ends, and sometimes they zap you. And mm-hmm. I had a transmission fall on me one time when I was under a car, and, for a couple of reasons. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I have done all the hands-on stuff. But um, now I just, since my daily driver is a Mercedes, and it's not the kind of car that you can get out and wrench on, so <laughs> it goes to a Mercedes specialist for any kind of maintenance it needs. But I I, I wash it, I pay bar it, I wax it probably every month. Every time I take it out or the Volkswagen, the same thing. It's detailed before I drive it and then after. I always I maintained my cars personally and still uh, until later, you know, when it, things are a little too complicated, you just can't do much with these computer-managed systems, just kind of plug units in and out of them. So, no, I don't I do not do it like I used to. But that's, uh, as I said, you know, I'm out there in the garage. The neighbors always come over and they say, well, why don't you just take it through the car wash? But I'm never taking a car through a car wash. I don't think I ever will. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. I love that. Thanks for sharing that. That's wonderful. Okay, Diane, this is one of my favorite parts of our talk. I call it the last lap. And this is where I fire off a series of questions and you give our listeners very quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready to go? I'll try. Okay. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received? I think it's just whether it applies to cars or your business or whatever. I think it's just you should just do what you love, and the money will follow, whether it's a hobby or a vocation. If we allow ourselves to love what we love and not just what's trendy or what someone else loves or thinks we should love, 
if we just um, trust our own taste, our own opinions, find out what makes us smile, the more we learn about what we love, the fewer mistakes we make, the more fun we'll have. So just, I think, honor your own likes, respect your own likes, give yourself the permission to just do what you love. That's great. I like that. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe contributes to your success? Other than take a shower every day and brush my teeth. Well, those are good habits. Don't procrastinate. You know, I, I love a Nike's mantra, just do it. I kind of think Henry Royce, I felt the same way, because when I feel myself getting bogged down in the not-so-much-fun stuff, I think about the words that he actually had carved into the mantelpiece of his home. And it read, whatever job, however humble, is noble. So, as I say, I think whether it's just the kind of dreary work that we all have to do from time to time, if we just plow through it, then eventually we get to the point where the things that where it all comes together, and then it's just great fun. That is certainly a great saying that he had. What a, what a nice thing. Do you have a resource that you could share with our listeners that you're really fond of? Maybe it's a website or a restoration facility or a supplier. Well, for, uh, the main thing, I think, is having a computer. <laughs> Every once in a while, somebody will say they don't own a computer, they don't want one, they don't need one. And I'll say to them, if, you know, if you have a computer with Internet access, it's like living with the smartest person in the world. And the best library right there and the best craftsman, everything is right there. Once we learn to get on, ask Mr. Google or Bing the question and to dig in and go on all of those uh, wonderful websites that are just coming up, and yours is the newest and greatest, I think, we're going to be, we're going to find so much information. Yes, it is delightful. And thank you for your kind words about cars. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Is there a book that you've recently read that you could share with our listeners? I read all the time and all kinds of stuff. I read probably three or four books a week. I'm not much into TV. If anyone listening is particularly interested in Rolls-Royce, the definitive published source is the Rolls-Royce Motor Car, and it's by Bird and Howells. It's all there. It's all correct, which is very rare in a reference book. If someone is interested in Bentley, there are a lot of good books, but probably my favorite for generally for most of them, is Johnny Green's book. It's called Bentley, 50 Years of the Mark. Great. I'll make sure that we post those on our show notes page so that our listeners can find those references. Thank you. So, listeners, you can find, like I said, all of those references on com slash Diane Brandon on her show notes page, and those links will go right to where you can find those resources. All right, Diane, we're up to the checkered flag. It's the end of the race. And this can be one of the most difficult questions for people. Sometimes it's pretty darn easy, so we'll see how you do. I like to call it a real doozy, or in your case, a real roller. (laughs) If you could only have one collector car in your garage, and this is something that you can't sell to buy other cars with, and money is no object, what car would it be and why? In a way, it's it's a tough one, but I have to say that old Bentley, that S1, it was quite simply the perfect car for me. It was beautiful to my eye. Major eye candy has superb quality, reliable, very straightforward mechanics for what you would think would be a complicated car. But it was very simple, just an inline six. No gimmicks, a lot of power, comfortable, roomy, silky, well-mannered. 
The only downside was maintenance, so oil and filter changes were every 1,500 miles, and that baby took 11 and a half quarts of oil. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, you know, I've driven, um, we've talked about Rolls Royce and Bentley, marvelous cars. I've driven almost all of them. Truly, that S1, to this day, if it were here, once I gave it a little bit of a few tweaks, I wouldn't hesitate to get in and drive it to, you know, New York and back. They're just, they're just bulletproof. As I said, I just loved everything about it, and that's why it was so tough to let it go. It would be the keeper. Okay. Well, sounds like a fantastic car. Diane, you've taken us on a great ride today, and I, I really have enjoyed your stories. I want to thank you for sharing your journey and your life with us. If you would give our listeners one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that Bentley <laughs> and let our listeners know what's the best way for, to learn more about you or Rolls-Royce and Bentley motor cars, and then we'll say goodbye. The word of advice, um, this is something that I've told my kids. I, if somebody asks me about something to, you know, some sort of a philosophy. I just wish somebody told me this years ago, and that would be to buy the very best you can find and afford. You'll never regret it. If you get something just to get by, whether it's, you know, a cheap wrench or a cheap fright pig of a car, you'll always regret it. But if you buy something that makes your heart sing, even if it's just a stretch, and you'll, you'll never regret it. You'll always love it, probably keep it, too. And as we're seeing in sales of old cars, the very best ones, when new, are the ones demanding the highest prices. So the best is simply the best. And, Diane, is there a way that our listeners can reach out and get a hold of you? Sure. I no longer maintain a website because I just found it took too much time away from my primary function now, which is researching and writing about cars and advising about them. But I'm always available by email. It is fairly easy to remember. Only child, only woman at gmail.com. Well, we'll make sure, listeners, that we post all the links that Diane talked about today on her show notes page. You just have to go to www.carsyeah.com slash Diane Brandon, and you'll find everything listed there. Diane, I want to thank you for being so generous with your time and your expertise and sharing your experiences with our listeners. I'll look forward to seeing the most beautiful judge on the lawn at Pebble Beach in <laughs> August. And until we talk again, we'll see you down the road. Thanks so much, Mark. It's been a pleasure. It's been real fun. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!